Body cam footage of George Floyd is leaked. President Obama uses a funeral for a political speech. Bethel University introduces the George Floyd Black-only scholarship. And Black Lives Matter can paint, but pro-life can't chalk. All that and more on this episode of The Johnny Ray Show. Partial clip of the body cam worn by the two officers by two of the officers in the death of George Floyd was released on Tuesday. The footage showed Floyd arguing with the officers, not complying when they advised him of instructions, and overall resisting the officers. We'll take a deeper look into the footage in just a moment, but first. Today, podcasts are all the rage. Everyone wants a voice, and now Anchor has given you that voice. Anchor is the easiest way to podcast, whether it's political or fun, about parenting, or just your day-to-day routine. Anchor is the free, easy way to get heard. Anchor allows you to create, edit, and publish your podcast right from your smartphone or your computer. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you, so you don't have to. It's everything you need to create a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started. And welcome back to the Johnny Ray Show. When George Floyd was killed by Minneapolis police officers, the left exploded with accusations of racism, police brutality, and the hoax that white cops were literally hunting down black people in the streets to kill them. Anybody with two brain cells said something was missing. The footage released skipped around events surrounding the police encounter with George Floyd, but earlier this week, body cam footage was released, filling in most of the missing video proof, and aside from CNN running a completely fabricated clip of the five seconds where George Floyd seemed to be crying, and a two-second clip of Floyd saying, please, not one mainstream media outlet from the left has walked back, retracted, amended, any of that. They They didn't walk back any of their assumptions of racism or police brutality. Not one. Not one. I'll play a couple of clips, and for those of you that haven't seen the video, please, the audio alone does no justice. Go watch the full seven or eight minute video. Here's some clips. Now, I'll stop it right there and tell you the way he is acting, that that is the effects of being high on fentanyl. He was hyperactive and very spaced on listening and doing the commands given by the officer. He he was constantly 
touching his, and again, if you haven't seen the video, go watch the video. It's a whole lot easier to see than to listen. But even in the audio, you can tell he's very hyperactive, and and when the officer tells him to do something, he 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 does it, he complies, but then he goes on to something else, not continuing to comply. Here's a little bit more. Hands in the wheel. Yes, Okay, well when I say let me I'm see sorry. your hands, you put your oh, hands up. You got them? Put your hands on top of your head. Hands on top of your head. Hands on top of your head. Step out of the vehicle and step away from me, alright? Step out and face away. Step out and face away. I'm not gonna shoot you. Step out and face away. I'm gonna get out of here, man. Please don't shoot me, man. I just lost my mom, man. Step out and face away. Step out and face away. Please don't shoot me, Mr. Officer, please. I just have to add that if this were racism, if this was the act of a rabidly racist cop or group of cops in this instance wanting to kill him a black man, do you think he would treat the black man and black woman who were with George Floyd as nicely as he did? 
do you think that he would have given Floyd as many chances to comply before becoming angry or agitated with Floyd like he did? Spoiler, no. The, the easy answer is no, he wouldn't. Here's some more. All the time, when they come, especially when that man stood that gun like that, it's been one. What's so the first he's name? Pretty, he's pretty he's a good guy. He, George Floyd, she said. Oh, oh, ouch, man. Are you on something right now? I'm not on no, nothing. Because you acting yeah. more radical. You been Let's go. Yeah, man. Let's go. I was caught with the talk. I 
Now notice, he was already talking about not being able to breathe, and that, that was when they were putting him in the police car. He even stated, I'm claustrophobic. So when the left were saying, he was saying, I can't breathe because the officer was applying pressure to his neck, that was garbage and fallacies. That's what that was. He specifically asked to lay on the ground, not sit in the car. He specifically asked. But the left would have you believe that the officers ripped him from his safe space, obeying the police officer in the car, and threw him on the ground like a rag doll. No. He was laid on the ground at his own behest, and because he wouldn't lie still, the officer restrained him with a knee on his neck that was accordance with Minneapolis Police Department standards. This footage completely destroys the narrative that the left has been pushing since the day he was killed. Completely obliterates it. It shows that not only was this stop and attempted apprehension no way racist or about skin color or about any of that that they've been spewing for the, for the last couple of months, but it shows that even while he was not obeying the verbal commands of the officers, they still remained fairly professional. I mean, there's a little bit. Now, now, should the officer have knelt on his neck the entire time? Probably not. He probably could have used a bit more poise. But with this footage and the toxicology report that was released previous, showing that Floyd died from a deadly amount of meth and fentanyl in his system, not from anything the officers did, it's only a matter of time before the officers should be acquitted. And that, I'm afraid, will trigger the worst outcome possible. The, the outcome for that is very, very violent, I believe. They, they, the left has shown over the last four years that they will stop at nothing to ensure that their narrative lives on, even if it means assault, even if it means death, even if it means riots and looting 
and election tampering. Ladies and gentlemen, between now and November, the ride, it's going to get very hyper overdrive. That's exactly what it's going to do. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get crazy. Now, of course, come November, none of this is going to matter. Black Lives Matter won't won't be around. Antifa's not going to show up. The riots and protests will go away. COVID will all of a sudden disappear. Because the left has shown their cards that all of these are nothing more than a political symbol. That's all they are. All of the Black Lives Matter protests, all the painting on the streets, all the the riots and the the quote-unquote peaceful protests that have killed more people in just the few months they've been going on than, than police officers killed unarmed black men in the entirety of 2019 year. The whole 365 days, there were less unarmed black men killed than black people killed in riots and protests over George Floyd, Rayshard Brooks, and all of these others that that's been going on over the last three months or so. Come November, none of that will matter. The day after the election, it will disappear because either one of two things is going to happen. Either Donald Trump is going to win and they're going to move on to new ways of trying to impeach him illegally again. Or... If mail-in ballots have anything to do with it, Joe Biden will win the election, that demented old soul. And it'll go away because they have no more narrative that they need to spew because their job is done. President Trump will no longer be president. That's, that's, what, that, that's what happens. Speaking of political symbols, President Barack Obama spoke at the funeral of... Uh, John Lewis, the Democrat congressman from Georgia last week. The speech was politicized at best. Former President Barack Obama lashed out at President Trump and federal agents. He condemned Trump and conservatives for being against mail-in ballots. He even likened the filibuster to Jim Crow. (laughs) Uh, You can't make this stuff up here. Take a listen. He knew that the march is not over, that the race is not yet won, that we have not yet reached that blessed destination where we are judged by the content of our character. He knew from his own life that progress is fragile, that we have to be vigilant against the dark occurrence of this country's history, of our own history with their whirlpools of violence and hatred and despair that can always rise again. Bull Connor may be gone, but today we witness with our own eyes police officers kneeling on the necks of black Americans. George Wallace may be gone, But we can witness our federal government sending agents to use tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators.
We may no longer have to guess the number of jelly beans in a jar in order to cast a ballot. But even as we sit here, there are those in power who are doing their darndest to discourage people from voting by closing polling locations and targeting minorities and students with restrictive ID laws and attacking our voting rights with surgical precision, even undermining the Postal Service in the run-up to an election that's going to be dependent on mail-in ballots so people don't get sick. Now, I know this is a celebration of John's life. There are some who might say we shouldn't dwell on such things. But that's why I'm talking about it. John Lewis devoted his time on this earth fighting the very attacks on democracy and what's best in America that we're, we're seeing circulate right now. He knew that every single one of us has a God-given power and that the fate of this democracy depends on how we use it, that democracy isn't automatic. It has to be nurtured. It has to be tended to. We have to work at it. It's hard. And so he knew that it depends on whether we summon a measure, just a measure of John's moral courage to question what's right and what's wrong and call things as they are. He said that as long as he had a breath in his body, he would do everything he could to preserve this democracy. And as long as we have breath in our bodies, we have to continue his cause. If we want our children to grow up in a democracy, not just with elections, but a true democracy, a representative democracy, in a big-hearted, tolerant, vibrant, inclusive America of perpetual self-creation, then we're going to have to be more like John. We don't have to do all the things he had to do because he did them for us, but we got to do something. As the Lord instructed Paul, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. It's just everybody's got to come out and vote. We got, we got all those people in the city, but they can't do nothing. Like John, we've got to keep getting into that good trouble. He knew that nonviolent protest is patriotic, a way to raise public awareness and put a spotlight on injustice and make the powers that be uncomfortable. Like John, 
We don't have to choose between protests and politics. It's not an either-or situation. It's a both-and situation. We have to engage in protests where that's effective, but we also have to translate our passion and our causes into laws, instant institutional practices. That's why John ran for Congress 34 years ago. Like John, we've got to fight even harder for the most powerful tool that we have, which is the right to vote. The Voting Rights Act is one of the crowning achievements of our democracy. It's why John crossed that bridge. It's why he spilled his blood. And by the way, it was the result of Democratic and Republican efforts. President Bush, who spoke here earlier, and his father signed its renewal when they were in office. President Clinton didn't have to because it was the law when he arrived, so instead he made a law to make it easier for people to register to vote. But once the Supreme Court weakened the Voting Rights Act, some state legislators unleashed a flood of laws designed specifically to make voting harder, especially, by the way, state legislators where there's a lot of minority turnout and population growth. That's not necessarily a mystery or an accident. It was an attack on what John fought for. It was an attack on our democratic freedoms. And we should treat it as such. If politicians want to honor John, and, and, and I'm so grateful for the legacy and work of all the congressional leaders who are here, but th th there's a better way than a statement calling him a hero. You want to honor John? Let's honor him by revitalizing the law that he was willing to die for. And by the way, naming it the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, that is a fine tribute. But John wouldn't want us to stop there, just trying to get back to where we already were. Once we pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, we should keep marching to make it even better by making sure every American is automatically registered to vote, including former inmates who've earned their second chance. by adding polling places and expanding early voting and making Election Day a national holiday. So if you are somebody who's working in a factory or you're a single mom who's got to go to her job and doesn't get time off, 
You can still cast your ballot by guaranteeing that every American citizen has equal representation in our government, including the American citizens who live in Washington, D.C. and in Puerto Rico. They're Americans. By ending some of the partisan gerrymandering so that all voters have the power to choose their politicians, not the other way around. And if all this takes eliminating the filibuster, another Jim Crow relic, in order to secure the God-given rights of every American, then that's what we should do. Now, even if we do all this, even if every bogus voter suppression law is struck off the books today, we've got to be honest with ourselves that too many of us choose not to exercise the franchise. Too many of our citizens believe their vote won't make a difference, or they buy into the cynicism that, by the way, is the central strategy of voter suppression to make you discouraged, to stop believing in your own power. So we're also going to have to remember what John said. If you don't do everything you can do to change things, then they will remain the same. You only pass this way once. You have to give it all you have. As long as young people are protesting in the streets, hoping real change takes hold, I'm hopeful, but we can't casually abandon them at the ballot box. Not when few elections have been as urgent on so many levels as this one. We can't treat voting as an errand to run if we have some time. We have to treat it as the most important action we can take on behalf of democracy. Now, funny thing about this is he likened the filibuster to Jim Crow. He said, even if that takes eliminating the filibuster, another Jim Crow relic. Hmm, crazy, because former President Obama actually defended the filibuster in 2005 when the Senate Republican majority threatened to eliminate the filibuster with the nuclear option. The newly elected Senator Obama protested against eliminating that filibuster. And in 2006, he even attempted and failed, mind you, to utilize the filibuster against the Samuel Alito, I believe that's how it was, Samuel Alito's confirmation to the U.S. Supreme Court. When did Jim Crow go from ending in 1965 to being alive and well in 2005-2006? The only thing that is partially true in that statement is that Democrats were responsible for both Jim Crow in the 1960s and utilizing the filibuster in 2006. The left has been trying to memory wormhole that piece of info ever since the eulogy last week when it was brought to, to light of former presidents uh, 
for his his support of the filibuster just 15 years ago. Uh, President Trump was asked about the eulogy uh, when he did his interview for Fox and Friends a few days ago. Here's what his response was on President Obama's sharp words attacking him in the eulogy. Who is having a harder time getting over the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton or President Obama? And do you agree that seemed like a campaign speech and less of a eulogy? I thought it was a terrible speech. It was an angry speech. It showed this anger there that people don't see. He lost control, and he's been really uh, hit very hard by both sides for that speech. That speech was ridiculous. Uh, I think the answer is they both are just in a state. They, you know, it's just one of those things. We've redone. Another topic getting a lot of heat over the last week or so, Bethel University introduced a new scholarship back in June the George Floyd Scholarship. The Christian University said it was to establish and to invest in future diverse leaders. The scholarship is only available to black students. Chief Advancement Officer Jim Bender had this to say, At Bethel, we are committed to creating a more equitable, just, and hopeful future for diverse young people. He went on to say, we invite you to join us as we invest in student leaders who will go on to accomplish incredible things. End quote. Most equitable, just, and hopeful future for diverse young people. Only offering a scholarship to one race, not diverse. Like, at all. So basically, what they're saying is, is that only black students are going to go on to accomplish incredible things. So the little Latino boy, or girl, will never go on to do incredible things. The little white boys and girls will never go on to do incredible things. Little Native American boys and girls will never go on to do any incredible things. Sounds a bit racist to me. I mean, to only offer a scholarship based on the sole reasoning of their skin color is by definition racist. I mean, for a Christian university, this shocks me. It really does. It truly shocks me. I am, I'm befuddled. I would expect this from like Harvard or Yale, UCLA, some big leftist school, but a Christian school. I mean, come on. That's no different than if Oklahoma State University introduced a David Duke scholarship. I mean, could you imagine the uproar and riots in the streets if any school established a David Duke scholarship or a Robert E. Lee scholarship? I mean, it would be half the country would burn down in a matter of hours if any school... If any school ever attempted to put out a, a scholarship that was only afforded to white students. Now, I've talked about this a couple of times over over the course of the, the uh, few podcasts that I've been able to, to get out. Is the double standard of the left. 
because there are no all-white scholarships. There's not a scholarship out there. I guarantee you, you cannot find one scholarship that in the basis of the scholarship, it grants only white kids the scholarship. There's not one. I can, however, point out several scholarships that are only for Native American children or students, only black students or children, only Latino students or children. There are several of them out there. I, and, and by several, I mean hundreds. Not, not just, oh, one, one here and one there. No, 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 no. There are hundreds of, of scholarships that are only afforded to one select group or multiple groups not including white, not including Caucasian. There are actual scholarships out there that are only afforded to everybody except Caucasian students. It's almost like over the last 10 to 15 years, which is when most of these scholarships have been uh, established, it's almost as if they just threw the mask off and said, you know what, everybody's, they, they, they've assumed that we're slightly racially biased to everybody except Caucasian students. Why don't we just live up to that standard and just throw the mask right off, Scooby-Doo, unveil the mask, and, and show how racist we can be. This, this scholarship being introduced was, was the epitome of Bethel University looking at how the left was was vehemently biased against Caucasians and for African Americans or people of color and this was the epitome of the hold my beer statement to to put out a scholarship and and boldly list it as only for African American students and then say basically that only African American students are ever going to do great incredible things that's why you're offering it to them because obviously there are no white children that would like to grow up and do an incredible thing there are obviously no Native American children that grow up and think you know what I want to do something incredible with my life. Not according to Bethel, no, no, no. According to Bethel University, a Christian university, mind you. Only African American kids will grow up and want to achieve incredible things. And and it's it's the the double standard that they hold so dear because if anybody was to create a white only 
scholarship, not only would that school be shut down, there would be riots in the streets, there would be cities literally burned to the ground, there is, there is nothing that wouldn't happen in a violent way if any school, if any person even, even dreaded the thought that a school should name a scholarship after Robert E. Lee or, or even Teddy Roosevelt for that matter, David Duke, any of these people that the left has now lambasted as being nothing but racist, nothing but connected to racism, if anybody was to ever utter the phrase, there should be a Robert E. Lee or a David Duke scholarship, the entire United States would crumble into ash by the time the statement even got done. And lastly, pro-life protesters were arrested in Washington, D.C. Saturday for using chalk on the sidewalk outside of the Planned Parenthood. Protesters said the police told them before the protest that they would not be arrested or stopped if they were to use paint or chalk on the sidewalk or the streets. But then they were arrested. So the protest was held by Students for Life of America, or SFLA. Two protesters were using chalk to write pre-born Black Lives Matter when two officers approached them and stated if they didn't quit chalking that they would be arrested. After a moment, two other officers approached them and placed them in handcuffs. So they were arrested for simply doing what BLM has been doing for the last two months. The president of SFLA, Kristen Hawkins, told reporters that they had permits to peacefully protest in that location and were told by the police officers that they would not be stopped or arrested for painting or chalking on the streets or sidewalks, but was advised to use paint or chalk that would wash off easily, which chalk does. Anybody who is anybody knows that chalk does. Almost everybody in the entire United States has used chalk at some point in time and knows that a little bit of water, chalk goes away. So, painting Black Lives Matter in 10 foot tall letters down entire streets of cities is okay, but to chalk pre-born Black Lives Matter is an arrestable offense. The double standard for the left is outrageous. It's, it's literally ludicrous and ridiculous. I'm slowly losing hope for any assurances that America will ever go back from the left fringe ever again. That's why this election is the most important election of our lifetime. If we do not stop being the silent majority and start being the loud majority, the left is going to take hold of our livelihood and careen us into a socialist Marxist society from which we will never ever recover ever we need to stand and say loudly we will not bend the knee to the will of the radical left we need to take our god-given rights afforded to us by god
back from the clutches of the radical left, or we will certainly be the divided states of America by 2021. That's a guarantee. We will not make it past the new year if we do not take this election this year. This is the most important election. They, are, they have said it openly that they are taking our rights, that they want to take our livelihoods, they want to make us sit and take payment from the government to live instead of working. They want to, they want to strip capitalism down. They want to strip all of the, the constitutional rights that we are afforded, the God-given rights that we're given. And they have shown over the last four years they will stop at nothing. The left is a radical movement that will stop at nothing to get what they want from the United States. And then they will sell us off to the first country that gives them a smile and a wink. It's guaranteed. That will happen by 2021 if we do not stand up and proudly state that we will not give our rights and bend to the will of the radical left. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you for joining me. Please don't forget to like, share, comment, and subscribe. I've now began publishing the show on YouTube, so be sure to go subscribe, like, comment, and share there as well. Don't forget to tune in on Saturday to an all-new The Johnny Ray Debate, where I'll have a special guest on to discuss everything from politics to movies, from music to the election. Until next time, I'm Johnny Ray, and this has been The Johnny Ray Show. God bless.